Well, hello there. Welcome to Journey Through the Epistles with Daniel Babalola. I am Daniel Babalola and I'm inviting you on a journey as we study the epistles in the Bible, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. I believe that a solid understanding of what is contained in the epistles would serve as a strong foundation for all our Christian expression. And not just that, that when we take the words of the apostles and properly understand them in their context as they meant it to be understood, our entire Christian experience stands the chance of being so much more flourishing. So join me on this journey. Let's go. Dear Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the privilege and the opportunity we get to study your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the potency of your word. That every time we we learn, we read, we study, your spirit works in our hearts to make us more like you. And Lord, I pray that uh, even as we start or we continue from where we stopped last week, I pray that you open our eyes to not only understand, but to see where we need to apply these truths to our lives and help us, Lord, to respond in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So good morning. Good afternoon. Um, Whatever time you're joining from, thank you for joining on time. As usual, uh, welcome to Journey Through the Epistles. We are currently in Journey Through 2 Corinthians Part 15. Um, this is slowly becoming our longest. How long was 1 Corinthians? I think this might this might trump it. Hebrews was, I think, 13. I'm not sure. Uh, I can't remember, but this 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 might just be our longest so far. But it's it's been worth it, especially because we haven't really covered a lot of like Hebrews was very theologically dense. Um, First Corinthians to a large extent, like we talked about marriage. We talked about um, the Lord's Supper. We talked about uh, baptism. We talked about church accountability, the gifts of the spirit. So very, very important topics in First Corinthians. But then, Second Corinthians comes along the way, and there isn't necessarily any, should I say, any theological topic itself that Paul is talking about. However, it is perhaps the most personal letter we have from, from Paul. Of course, we've seen him go personal in places like Philippians. We've seen him go personal in places like Galatians, but none of them come close to the degree of depth or to the amount of emotion that we can see in second corinthians here we have the the i don't want to say almighty but the great apostle paul the one that you would say after jesus contributed perhaps contributed most to to the to the spread and the growth and the establishment of christianity this is someone who we've seen We've read about in Acts, you, you can't teach a sermon without quoting from him. And now he talks about his life. He talks about his fears, right? One of the verses I love the most in this entire book 
And what we might get there is Second Corinthians 7 verse 5. It says, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. We were troubled on every side. Outside were, outside were conflicts. Inside were fears. And so, all of a sudden, this image of this juggernaut that, oh my God, he's always on point. This is someone who can never, he's always in the word. But little verses like this remind you that hmm, this was just a human like me that gave himself to God. He's, he's vulnerable enough to say, I was afraid. Like, there were th- I, was, I was afraid. I, there were things I was concerned about. Of course, I didn't stop there. I didn't allow it to hinder the work. But they were there. There were fears I needed to take to God, just like every other believer. The same things he said in the earlier start that I hadn't heard from Titus. Or, oh, I'm, I'm worried about you guys. You, you, you hear him describe the troubles he goes through, the concerns he has, the, the amount of sacrifice he has to put in to the work of the ministry. And it's very encouraging. It reminds me of verses like James that says, oh, Elijah was a man of like passions. That simple phrase, 2 Corinthians expands on it. That at the end of the day, Paul was a human just like you, just like me, that gave himself to the grace of God. And so if if God is asking you to do something and you're facing difficulty on the outside, on the inside, you're worried about the success of the work, you are in good company. You don't. You shouldn't be like, oh, I'm sure Paul would have just, just done it. <laughs> Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. And so, I guess it, it then makes sense that we've spent so much time going through chapter after chapter after chapter just to make it clear that the work of the ministry is for everyone. Yes, it might be in different skills and to different audiences, but at the end of the day, the circumstances, the experiences that comes with representing Christ, first as a believer and second as a minister, we all share it. We all share it. And so I hope that so far as we've gone through chapter by chapter by chapter by chapter this is something that has come to start to encourage you that hmm, god can actually use me i just have to be willing god can actually use me i just have to xyz whatever that looks like for you we've talked about the place of convenience we've talked about the place of sacrifice we've talked about what um dual report we've talked about what it means to be a new creature. We've talked about a lot of all these things that on a practical level, I I really hope that you've started to meditate on and pray on a lot more. And so today is no different. We we read 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14. Um, I think we pretty much did just verses 10 to verses 14 last week. Um, and I'm just going to continue from where we stopped. If you haven't listened, at this point, it's it's getting to, if you haven't listened to any, um, if you haven't listened to the whole of Second Corinthians, I beg you to please find time and just listen through it. Listen through it. If you've listened to it before, listen to it again. 
Um, let's let's let these vital aspects of your Christian experience let it actually bear fruit. And so last week we looked at we we spent quite a great deal of time in chapter six, verse fourteen, where Paul says, "Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers." But what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And I spent a big part of last week's teaching saying that whenever people read this, the first thing that comes to their mind is what? Ah, a Christian should not marry a non-Christian. And they are right, especially if they understand what they are saying. All right, It's not as oh, this is a law of Christianity, but do you actually understand why it doesn't make sense or why it might not be in your best interest to pursue that kind of relationship? But then I spent, I, I, I made sure that you realize that this is not just about marriage. This is not just about marriage. We talked about association. We talked about how as humans, we end up accepting whatever we are continually exposed to, whatever it is, good or bad. We talked about the idea of what it means to stand apart from the world, what it means to actually be a Christian in your associations, in your workplace, in your in your in your school, whatever that looks like. And when you start to realize that oh unequally yoked is not just when I have I'm a Christian, my husband is not saved. I'm a Christian, my wife is not saved. And it goes a lot more than that. A lot more than that. I don't want to spend too much time because there's a lot more I want to talk about in today's teaching. So please listen to last week's teaching if you haven't on what it means to be unequally yoked. <laughs> um, so if you haven't already, get out your Bibles, get out your notepads. Um, we're continuing from 2 Corinthians 6 verse 15. As usual, I'm reading from the NKJV. All right, so let's go. It says, it goes on with that same train of thoughts. What fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? What part has a believer with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols then he goes on to say for you are the temple of god and he has said i'll dwell in them walk among them i'll be their god they'll be my people so let's backtrack a bit paul uses a lot of analogies to describe um what this looks like the first one and you can start to write it in your notes i i know if you've been here for a while there's some things i'm like okay take this down in this order this is one of them the first thing he says is unequally yoked and what does that refer to? I gave the example last week. To be unequally yoked, it shows that you are two different, literally two different animals, right? Usually you'd yoke two oxes, two horses, two goats, <laughs> two camels. If you yoke a goat and a camel, it becomes very uncomfortable. The camel is tall, the goat is small. The yoke would make both of them very, it, it can't work. If you yoke a horse, and a bird it doesn't make sense and so the first thing there when he says unequally yoked he refers to your nature that you are different kinds of people and so it's something 
to recognize. Before it says don't be, it means that you should recognize that you are not the same as these ones. And so many of the, the, the moment a person is already asking, what is the big deal? It shows that they've not even understood that they are different. If you understood you were different, you won't be asking that question. He uses the, he uses, so unequally yoked, you can put in your notes, different nature. Then he sees righteousness versus lawlessness. And that refers to morality. So unequally yoked nature, righteousness versus lawlessness, morality. He's making a case that when we stand with the people of this world, our moral standards are different. Our moral standards are different. This is the answer to the question, what is the big deal? This is the big deal. Our moral standards are different. And so I'm sure for pretty much everyone here, if you've ever taken your walk with God seriously, someone has probably asked you, at open, oh, why don't you do this? Or let's say they don't invite you to certain things because at the back of their minds, they know that you probably won't be a part of that. Oh, let's go drink club and party on Friday. Are you interested? Oh, no, I'm not. Oh, why? Oh, I don't I don't want to dance to music that is all about sex. I don't want to get drunk. And I definitely don't want to take anyone home. Um, I'm like, oh, oh, why not? I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Morality is different. Righteousness versus loyalty. Oh, I, um, I remember in school, because um, the, the college I went to, um, we signed attendance every class. And it was it was a battle because in our school, I think if you don't make, is it 70? I can't remember anymore. You won't be allowed to take the exam. And so what will happen is there's an Excel sheet of everyone's name. And then they give the course representative the sheets of paper and they're like, pass it around. Either you pass it around or you sign for everyone. So there was something very common in my school, which was, oh, sign for me. I'm not going to come to class, but please sign for me. <laughs> right? I'm sleeping in my room. I don't want to come to class. Just sign for me. And there was a common tease, or it was very uncomfortable. I remember when I started to take my work with God seriously, and my roommate is like, ah, just sign for me. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I can't. <laughs> I can't lie that you were in class when you really weren't. And he was so upset. Like, what's the big deal? Is it not just a piece of paper? Are you not just writing on the paper? Sign for me. And I'm, like, I'm sorry. <laughs> Even you, you start to feel bad. Like, what's the big deal? Can't, can't I just sign for you? <laughs> Righteousness versus lawlessness. Or even then, I remember another big part was cheating in examinations. And so someone will call your name. What's the answer to number five? And it's like, I can't do this anymore. These are your friends. There are people that as soon as you walk out of the exam hall, you probably want to talk about something, maybe football, maybe something you all are watching. And they're asking you for answers. And then it's like, Ish. but do you know what I noticed? That as... The years went on. By my third year, my final year of school, no one asked me for answers. But not only that, I could still talk to them. Of course, I might not be as close 
but I was still, in a sense, friendly or friends with them. But they knew my standards. They knew I was not going to compromise. And they respected it. They were going to find someone else to ask because they knew that, ah, this one, forget it. He's not going to tell you. And that's what a lot of Christians, or a point a lot of Christians never get to. We are afraid of being rejected so much so that we never take a stand. But you would realize many times that if you are confident in your values, people usually do respect them. I'm sure many of you can relate to the point. Let's say you, you've said no to alcohol so many times. They don't bother. They might even still invite you like, oh, we're all just going to have a drink. Do you want to come? They know fully well you're not going to drink. Like you'll probably get there and get cooked. But they respect that value. And I'm still going to talk about that a bit more. How you can't be a Christian in this world ever before or now, even the entire book of the Torah was Israel being set apart. Everyone around you, the entire the nations of the world are doing this. They have idols. You must not have an idol. The nations of the world are doing this. You must not do this. The nations of the, it was about separation. Come out of them. We're going to get there in verse 17 and be separate. And so you cannot serve God if you are still someone that is still moved by peer pressure, concerned by what people would say about you, forget it. People will talk. I think we've talked about it enough for you to know that the people of the world will talk. That's fine. Jesus said, if they hated me, they will hate you too. Just, just know, write it down, put it on your pillow at night and sleep. If they hated Jesus, they will hate me too. <laughs> if they hated Jesus, they will hate me too. And own, own your morality. Oh, you are bigoted. Oh, you are narrow-minded. Oh, you are this. You're not progressive enough. Own your righteousness. Own your righteousness. Oh, what's the big deal with that? You love each other. Just sleep together. You're, why do you have to be married? You are too strict. Own your righteousness. Oh, you believe marriage is a union between a man and a woman. What is wrong with you? This is 2023. Own your righteousness. Ah, what's the big deal in wearing this outfit? Everyone, haven't you gone on Instagram? Everyone does it. You are the weird one for not doing it. Own your righteousness. <laughs> Wait, let it be a badge of it. As they are insulting you, in the words of Bishop Edward, he said, he's a booster. Every time they, 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 they shame you, say, wow, be like Peter and John. He says they counted it joy. Imagine that. They were flogged for preaching. And as they were going back to their brothers and sisters, they were happy that finally, Jesus is now not the only one doing something for me too. I can contribute to what Jesus has done. I can suffer for his message. It's a privilege. It's a privilege. It's a privilege. Have that mentality. The whole, what would they say? What would they just drop? It, it, it can help you. In your, in your personal work with God, in ministry, it, it's, it's a waste of time. Just drop it. What would they think? Would they like? No, they wouldn't. That's your answer. What would they think? They'll think you're weird. Are you happy? They won't like? Yes, they won't, they won't like. I'll lose friends. Yeah, yes, you would lose friends. <laughs> Own it. Own it and be fine with it. Be fine with it. 
we'll get there. We'll still talk a bit more about that. So righteousness with lawlessness, it describes moral frameworks. As believers, we have a view of morality in this world. And by the spirit of God, we, we aspire every day. Of course, not in a form of self-righteousness or condemning people in their sins, but it doesn't change the fact that through the, through the word of God, we have been taught what is right and what is wrong. The world many times does not agree, but we have a moral framework. Own it. He goes on, he says, what communion has light with darkness? So I said, unequally yoked nature, righteousness versus lawlessness, morality, light versus darkness. Now that refers to revelation or spirituality in a sense. Whenever it uses the analogy of people in darkness, it means they are blind. It means they can't see where they are going, right? Jesus would say, this is the judgment against the world, that light has come into the world, but men loving darkness rejected the light. And so that's the third description of the Christian versus the rest of the world. We are in light meaning we see, we see, and the rest of the world is in darkness. Does that mean that uh, <laughs> your boss is, or your manager is not saved? And so they're trying to advise you on how to get a certain task. They say, you can't speak. To me. You are in darkness and I am in light. <laughs> I will show you how to get this work done. I don't have jobs to offer you. <laughs> You will just join me and be preaching the gospel and God will take care. The way he's taking care of the flowers and the ravens, that's how he will take care of you because I don't know what you are trying to do. However, when it comes to spiritual revelation, when it comes to the essential questions of what spirituality tries to answer, which is what? Who are we? Why are we here? Where are we going? <laughs> right? Who, who is responsible for all of this? I think uh, it's usually summarized as origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Origin, meaning, where, who are we, where did we come from, right? Meaning, why are we here? Questions of why. Morality, that's what. What is right, what is wrong. How are we supposed to fulfill that meaning? And destiny, the question of where. Where are we going? Where does it all end? The Christian worldview has very clear answers as to a loving God who created everything that exists, as to the nature of man being made in his image, and so is full of intrinsic worth and value. As to the nature of morality, as to the nature of purpose, we are here to reflect the glory of God on the earth and to have fellowship with God. So it's twofold. We have a relationship to God or with God and we have a relationship in the world around us. And as to the question of destiny, how God has intended that we would dwell together with him for all of eternity, that is light, that is revelation. The rest of the world does not share that. And so a person in darkness says, oh, 
live young and wild and free because YOLO, you only live once. That is darkness talking. That is not light. Oh, why are you such in a rush to get married? This is the only life you have. Spend your 20s meeting people, sleeping around and having fun. That is darkness. Because if you were in the light, you would see that, oh, oh, it's not really that way. It's not really that way. It's not really that way. Oh, why don't you, um, why, why are you so active in church? Why are you so committed to this religious thing? At the end of the day, doesn't it all point to God? Isn't it just a makeshift coping mechanism to help us go through this life? That is darkness talking. It says what communion has light with darkness. The next category, it's what what accord has Christ with Belial? What accord has Christ with Belial? And so that, that refers to what? Authority. 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 That in the life of the believer, Jesus has influence and authority. In the life of the unbeliever, it's the devil. It's the devil. We read verses like, oh, that the prince of the power of the air has blinded their hearts, lest they are able to come. The God of this world has blinded their hearts. Has blinded their hearts. Has blinded their hearts. And so we live in a world where people are either being influenced or live under the authority of Christ or are being influenced and live under the authority of the devil. And so he's making it clear. How can both of you that are influenced by different sources respond and submit to different authorities? How would you work together? How would you, how, how would that look? How does that make sense? How would that work? It's like taking two soldiers to a battlefield. One is sent by Nigeria. One is sent by the US. And they are giving different instructions. Of course, they are going to respond differently. You can't go on the same mission unless the two, the two authorities are together. Of course, we know Jesus and the devil are not together in any regard. And so how will that look like? You submit to the authority of Christ. He holds chief in your life. That's not the case for them. That's not the case for the rest of the world. You are influenced by the authority of Christ. And so, just like Abraham, if there's one thing Christ does, is that he gives instructions that the rest of the world does not understand. He says, follow me. He says, leave your family. Follow me to a land I would show you. How do you want to start explaining that? That, oh, God told me to leave it all and follow him. How? How? You see Noah, oh, go and build an ark. A flood is coming. They laughed at him. Why? Light and darkness. Christ and Belial. Christ and Belial. How is a flood going to wipe out the earth? What are you doing? Are you mad? <laughs> he says, no, I'm submitted to the authority 
of Christ. I'm submitted to the authority of Christ. I'm submitted to the authority of Christ. Jesus comes and says what? Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. How would Peter tell his co-fishermen that, guys, Jesus says, follow me. You're surrendered to the authority of Christ. Again, what accord has Christ with Balaam? And so you need to recognize that you're influenced by the authority of something different. He goes on, it says, what part has a believer with an unbeliever? That goes to what? Identity. So I'll say it again. Um, unequally yoked, nature, righteousness and lawlessness, morality, light and darkness, revelation, Christ and Belial, influence and authority, believer and unbeliever, identity. We are literally described as believers. We believe something. What do we believe? The gospel. They don't believe the gospel. And so by very nature of your identity, what you believe is different. And then finally, it says, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? What does the, the idea of a temple refer to? Worship, purpose, and sacrifice. What goes on in a temple? Gods are being worshipped there. What goes on in a temple, the purpose of the building is to house and to honor a deity. What goes on in a temple? Sacrifices are being offered. And Paul describes the believer as a temple of God, meaning your life is, should be lived for God. Your life is for the worship of God. Your life should be marked by continual sacrifices to God. Romans 12. And he says, temple of God with idols. And so I've told you this many, many times that whenever you see idols as a 2023 Gen Zite, <laughs> you're not thinking of a golden calf. You're not thinking of uh, Shopono or <laughs> that uh, stigma. And you're like, oh my God, idols, ah, idol worship. My friend is an idol worshiper. No, Paul is saying by nature, by nature, you are the temple of God. Where does that leave the rest of the world? A temple of idols. Again, this is not to say, this is literally how the Bible describes the state of the world. And what does that mean? It means the rest of the world worships something else, lives for something else, and sacrifices for something else. And so for some people, they are temples of money where they worship money. They live for money and they are willing to sacrifice anything for money. For some people, they are temples of pleasure. They worship pleasure. They live for pleasure and they are willing to sacrifice anything for pleasure. For some people, they are temples of what? I don't know. Whatever it is, it just shows that as humans, right, regardless of where you are in this Christianity thing, you are a temple. You are either being proposed for the worship and the sacrifice unto Christ or unto something else, whatever that looks like. Whatever that looks like. And so these are the distinctions that Paul makes when he says, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Like I said last week, it doesn't mean, oh, you shouldn't have friends. Oh, someone says hi. Say, huh? 
temple of idol, get thee behind me. Are you okay? No, that's not what he's saying. But he's saying, let there be a clear recognition that you are so radically different that the moment your guard is dropped, you will be influenced negatively. It's not, it, it can't, you can't go around it. You can't go around it. Look at all the descriptions he uses. Distinctions in nature, distinctions in morality, distinctions in revelation, distinctions in influence and authority, distinctions in identity, distinctions in worship and purpose. And he's saying the moment you allow that interaction to go unguarded, it's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time. And that's why he says do not. It's, it's an instruction. It's an instruction because if you do, just like the Corinthian church, it is very possible. All of a sudden, you're going to see blurry lines in these areas. Blurry lines in the areas of what? Nature. Blurry lines in the area of morality. Oh, maybe it's not so bad. Blurry lines in the area of revelation. Blurry lines in the area of influence. Blurred lines in the area of identity, in the areas of worship and purpose. And so, like I said last week, I don't want to repeat everything we talked about last week. It doesn't, it, this is, this goes more beyond, oh, I'm not married to an unbeliever. Good for you. <laughs> Take a badge. <laughs> you know, oh, um, what else? What else would they say? Ah, all my, my closest friends are Christians. Good for you. Take a badge. This is calling you to assess your interactions. Assess your influences, right? For some of you, being unequally yoked with unbelievers might not even be physical. It might not be that you have an unbelieving acquaintance that you are doing life with and so you are starting to share in some of their values. No, it could be as simple as the influences from media, the things you watch, the things you check, you scroll through constantly. And so your closest friend is not actually your best friend that lives two hours away. Your closest friend is your phone. Have you thought about that? that? Oh, I'm constantly, in quotes, interacting with these voices more than the voices of God, more than the voices of a healthy Christian community. And like I said last week, what would start to happen? It's funny how, as believers, we, we hear sexual immorality and we know, oh, Flee temptation. Flee for temptation. So what does that mean? Oh, I'm not going to watch movies that, that promote sexual indecency. I'm not going to be in environments that promote sexual indecency. But the same goes with Christian association. Prevention is always better than control. Again, like I said, does that mean I said cut off your Christian non-Christian friends? Of course not. But what did I say last week? For those that were here, I can't remember the order, and that's why I'm asking. I think I, I, can't, I gave four walls that you should have in your mind to keep you grounded, even in the face of non-Christian exposure. Because like we read in 1 Corinthians 5, you would have to leave the world if you are to get away from it all. But it starts by recognizing that the moment I'm having interactions with anything and anyone that isn't Christian, my God should be up. My God should be up. Because as a human, I am more, I'm 
more susceptible to influence than I think. I am more persuadable than I think. I seek social validation more than I think. And so the moment that starts to happen, I re- let me give this personal example. I remember, um, I remember in Nigeria, right? Because of course, then pretty much everyone I hung out with was Christian, apart from maybe work friends and stuff like that. And so I joined Instagram <laughs> and it was fairly easy, fairly easy to post whatever I wanted on my WhatsApp on my Instagram. Fairly easy. Everyone, everyone is going to retweet. Everyone says, ah, man of God, continue, retweet, post, whatever. <laughs> God bless, this blessed me. And then I got to the US <laughs> again, no surprises. And I'm starting to make all these friends that pretty much none of them are Christian. And all of a sudden, I remember, especially in my first few months, I had a bit of hesitation posting on my Instagram if it was Christian related. Because I'm like, he <laughs> said, man, did not book you can relate, Abby. Because I'm like, I mean, they know I'm Christian, but they don't know how Christian I am. And that's how we are in this world. We want we're like, oh, they know I'm Christian, but do they know? <laughs> do they really know, like I said, that your morality, your values, your submission, and your allegiance is completely to Christ? Everyone is fine if you're Christian. Who cares? You're Christian. Oh, sure. Me too, I'm Christian. Some of you say, me too, I'm Christian. But do they know how Christian you are? And so I had hesitations. And I actually reached out to, to um, one of the pastor friends from Nigeria, right? And I'm like, sir, this is, these are some of the struggles going on. And he encouraged me that if you allow that persist, what would happen is you just compromise. You might not do anything wrong, but just somewhere in your mind, you won't be publicly, radically Christian. And I hope you know even that is a problem. And so I uh, I said, you know what? <laughs> I don't care. And I kept on posting. Of course, the first one, a bit, a bit, uh, a bit scary. And then some of my friends said, oh, I saw your post. Oh, really nice. I said, eh, it was nice. Oh, thank you. And little by little, I became confident in in making it clear that I am radically devoted to God. And if we can't be friends, that's fine. That's fine. Of course, it's harder because these are people that are in your physical periphery, if that's the word. But it doesn't change anything. I'm giving that example to make it clear that whenever we read these verses, we automatically think to marriage or to your best friend. Oh, my best friend is Christian. Okay, I'm fine. No, just association is something you also need to be aware of. That if you are if you are like Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah, it does something to you. And you should be aware of it. You should be aware of it. You don't have to be outside wanting to rape guests with them before the, 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 the influence and the social pressure starts to kick in. And so when Paul says, don't be unequally yoked, when Paul says, what fellowship, what communion, what accord, what part, what agreement, he's referring to that as well. He's referring to that as well. And so, like I said last week, I want us to go on quickly so that we, we, we um, I'm not rushing, but we move on to the next verse. But 
we assess our lives. What parts of my life subconsciously or consciously has already started to cave to non-Christian associations? What parts of my life do I need to build back walls? I don't know. If someone was here last week, you can probably put it in the chat. I gave four distinct areas. I know acceptance, compromise was one of them, but I can't remember the other four. <laughs> it just goes to show that sometimes I preach on the spot. It's not in my notes, so I can't remember. But I know I gave four levels of intentionality in our interactions that if you, if you fail at the first, it's as good as, it's just a matter of time. It will lead to the fourth eventually, whether in your mind or in practice. And so be, 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 be very intentional. Guard your convictions. Guard and be aware of your associations. All right? Be aware of it. It starts by recognition. It starts by recognition because the moment you don't see those distinctions, it's like, oh, it's fine. They are good people. And you are not wrong. They might have a certain level of decent morality. Thank you. Exposure, influence, acceptance, and compromise. Bookie, I owe you lunch this week. <laughs> Exposure, influence, acceptance, and compromise. A lot of times we, we try to we try to make sure that, oh, I get it right in the compromising aspect. I'm not going to, to get drunk. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. And that's a noble goal. But then we ignore everything that leads to compromise. We don't, we don't, we don't guard our exposure. Like I said, it doesn't even have to be in person. It could be, in, let's say it could be conversations that they're having and you are there. And you're not aware that repeated exposure, somewhere in your mind, it's becoming more normal. It could be through media. You're watching people live godless lifestyles. Somewhere in your mind, you are starting to accept it. You might not support or be a part of the values, but it's normal. That's already an attack on your conscience. The wall starts from exposure before it then becomes influence because repeated exposure leads to influence. You see it happen again and again and again. You see this, this uh, celebrity you love so much dressed this way again, 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 and again. And somewhere in your mind, first of all, you expect, like, ah, why would they wear this? And then you're like, oh, it's normal. And then it's even like, oh, let me try it on. Because exposure led to influence. Influence led to acceptance acceptance led to compromise. So if you want to apply this verse, I beg you, don't start from compromise. Don't start from actions. Start from exposure. Start from exposure. That's where the battle is first won. The moment the, the, the Eve allowed the devil say, did God say? It was already over. <laughs> it, was, it was like, hmm, did God really say? And she, she, she thought on it. She allowed the influence. She accepted and then she fell. And so, yeah, let's go on. Verse 16. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. And God has said, I will dwell in them. I will walk among them. I will be their God 
they shall be my people. And so these are verses from the Old Testament. You can check it out in Exodus 29 verse 45. Exodus 29 verse 45. I will dwell among the children of Israel. I will be their God. Leviticus 26 verse 12. Leviticus 26 verse 12. I would walk among you and be your God and you shall be my people. And he's talking about the Old Testament Israel. The Old Testament Israel. And like I said, when if you've ever read the Torah and the more you start to understand the narrative of the Bible, the more beautiful the Old Testament becomes. And one of the big things, if you've ever studied the laws and you're like, why is God saying this? Why is God saying that? Was Israel was meant to be separate. In fact, that was their chief calling to stand out from the nations of the world so that through them, the rest of the world will know, oh, these guys are different. We want to be like them. And so God is saying, other nations do this. You must not do this. Other nations do that. You must not do that. I am your Lord. Come out from among them and be separate. Even the arrangement of the, the tent, when they were in the wilderness, if you've, I don't know if you've read this before, but you know, they moved, of course, 40 years in the wilderness. They lived in tents, including the tabernacle. What would happen is the pillar of God will rise. Let's say fire or, a, or a cloud will rise and they know, oh, God is about to move. They would follow that pillar and wherever the pillar stops, they would camp there until the pillar moves again. And how was the arrangement of the camp? Remember there were, uh, how many tribes now? <laughs> okay, there were 12 tribes. So typically what would happen is, I think it was like three, 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 three. So like a, think of a cross, but three to the left, three to the right, three to the top, and three to the bottom. And then the, the temple will be in the middle, literally in the middle. What was the point of all that architectural design? To make it clear that the identity of these people is centered around God. The identity of these people is... So you, you, you then start to see that the presence of God spreads out from center. So at the center, we have the most holy place. Then we have the, the, the holy place. Then we have the courtyard, and then we have the camp. And so even the camp was included in that domain of God's rule and reign. In a sense, they were part of the temple of God. They were part of the temple of God. You come into the, the New Testament, we don't see physical temples. God is not, God is not dwelling um, in some box somewhere. He lives in you. He lives in us. But the implications have not changed. As Christians, our lives should be very distinct from the world. Because think about it. How will God have the influence that he wants to have on the earth if the world does not see that God in you changes anything? And so when you see things like even dietary laws, and you're like, ah, why? It was still that same inclination to be clearly separate in the way they dressed, to be clearly separate. Oh, don't make any markings on your body for the dead, to be clearly separate. Such that when they start to see, oh, wow, Israel is prospering. Their economy goes well because of all the social laws, the, um, the poor people are well taken care of and all of that. And you're like, these Israelites are different. I want what they have. 
And I want to appeal to every one of you in your own personal life and as a minister of the gospel. If you want to see more of God in your life, be very intentional about this area, this, this topic we're talking about, the idea of separation unto holiness. If you want to, because again, you'll see things like, oh, for your namesake. God will do this for Israel for his namesake. God will forgive for his namesake. Such that when people see, they immediately ascribe it to God. What that means is that compromise is perhaps the easiest way to chase away the presence and the power of God in a life or in a community. I'll say that again. Compromise is perhaps the easiest way to chase away the presence and the power of God from a life and from a community. Because what does that mean? It means that whatever God is doing in your life, people will not necessarily be able to ascribe it to God because the distinction is not there. Am I making sense? Thumbs up if I'm making sense. I want to be sure we understand very well what I'm saying. Thumbs up. I'm only making sense to one person. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yes. Because if you live like the world, talk like the world, act like the world, you are not giving room for God to show himself as your God. Because how will the world know it is God. Does that make sense? I, I guess it makes sense normally. It's kind of like, let me give this simple analogy. If you have, let's say, it might not, it might not play out exactly, but that it's the general idea. Let's say you have, um, let's say a lady has five boyfriends <laughs> and one of them finds out Let's say before, the guy usually spends on her. But then, of course, she also, she's getting money from places he doesn't know. Maybe it's always oh, work. Oh, work. Ah, your work people, they pay you so well. Ah, new clothes, new this, new that. And he finds out that, oh, this person is getting clothes from somewhere else. <laughs> Automatically, the motivation to continue to spend will die because you know that if people compliment, it might not be your work. It could have been someone else's. It could have been another guy that got it. It could have, it's that thing of exclusivity that when you know that, oh, this is mine, I will take care of it. In fact, let's even use something very, it doesn't even have to, let's something very simple. If you have a bathroom and it's just yours, there is a care and an attention you give to it that. If you know that, oh, there are five people sharing a bathroom and we are all meant to care for it. Once those extra influences come in, ownership decreases. Does that make sense? If it's, if it's your thing, you know that, okay, it is mine. I will Because whenever people see it, they know it is my work. But whenever the ownership starts to spread, it is our work. Personal responsibility always drops always drops because it's like oh we're all of us that are sharing the blame 
for sharing the glory. Same thing with group assignment versus personal assignment. Say, oh, I'll leave it. Daniel will do it. <laughs> because Daniel will always do it. <laughs> but if it's personal, say, oh, if I don't do it, I'm going to fail. And we don't realize that that is the kind of life we are setting ourselves up for when we compromise. When we portray a message to the world that God is not my chief source and influence, all of a sudden, God is not able to act for his namesake because if he acts, the world might not ascribe it to him. It will probably be something else that will get the glory. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? That was why God was so particular about idolatry for the people of Israel. Because now you are worshiping idols. God's biggest goal is that the world will know him. And you just find a place in that. That is God's biggest goal. So now Israel is worshiping idols. If they go into battle and they win, what would they say? Would they say, they'll say, oh, it was because of God, Baal, and Ashtoreth. Those are the three gods that made Israel win. And all of a sudden, God helping Israel is now leading people away from him. Which is why, especially for Israel, whenever they started to mess up, other nations might be fine. Israel must lose. <laughs> it's, it's not, it's not, uh, it's not, it is clear. Israel, why? For his name's sake. So that it will be clear that if the world asks, why did Israel lose this battle? Say, oh, they left their God. Say, ah, this their God is powerful. Why did Israel win this battle? Oh, they came back to their God. Say, oh, wow. This their God is powerful. I want to follow this God. And so the actions in the life of Israel, that's what the literal phrase for his name says. That's what it means. If you start to represent God, it means that his actions in your life must point back to him. And the moment you allow your life to be led or you express a life that is filled with many influences, you make it hard for God to be God in your life to the world. Say, hmm, slap your chest. Say, hmm. <laughs> but on a seriousness, on a seriousness, I, I hope this makes sense. As a minister of the gospel, as a believer, you want to see more of God in your life. You want to, you want to, you want to, you want to see his presence, his leading, his actions in, in even the natural aspects of your life. Check it. Are you totally and clearly? Remember I said, the world can know you are Christian, but sometimes we don't want them to know how Christian we are. Israel could not hide it. The, you Check your life. Am I clearly separated unto God? Clearly. There's a reason. And I'll, I'll get there in the next verse. Right? You'd see Daniel. It was at that point where he clearly said, I am not going to defile myself with the king's meat. There were other Jewish boys. Daniel could have said, oh, like the example I gave a couple weeks back, no one knows me. Ah, but look at uh, Jehoshaphat's uh, son now. Him too is eating the king's meat. There were other Jewish boys, in quote, or other, the same way in our lives today. We see other Christians. But then you realize that my accountability and my representation is first to God. First to God. The world may not understand. You may end up losing stuff you once held dear. 
but choose God's way every time. Make a commitment in your heart that I will never compromise to the world on any ground. I will never. I will never. And so for Daniel, it now became clear when he looked better than everyone. They won't say, uh, is good. no, no. They would know clearly that it was his loyalty to his God. Be like Daniel. Be like me. <laughs> Be like Daniel. <laughs> Such that people are ganging up and saying, how this guy administratively in his career, he's just doing well. How can we get him and say, you can't find anything except in his commitment to God. And so they will make a law that no one must pray. Let it be that if the world wants to get you, it will be because of your commitment to God, that they know you will not back up. So they will leverage your commitment to God. And even then you will still say, you think, you think my, my, my uh, job is worth more than your funny. Take my job. Take my job. You think uh, my, my, our friendship is worth more than my, you are funny. Take the friendship. You need that kind of mindset. You need that kind of mindset. You go to second Peter, for instance, and it's Peter is saying, oh, um, well, I'll, I'll get there. I'll get there. That's in verse seven. I'll get there. But I, I hope, I hope it makes sense. You want to see more of God in your life. This area of separation unto holiness, take it seriously. I promise you, what you watch, what you say, who you associate with, take it seriously. Take it seriously. Take it seriously. Once that distinction is there, it becomes easy for God to step in as God because he knows that he alone will get the glory. That he alone will get the glory. And that's what he says in the next verse. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. Recognize there is a them. Come out and be separate. It's not hidden. You, you can't come and you, everyone will know if you are separate. It, it doesn't, it's not hard to tell. Of course, coming out does not say coming out. It's not necessarily physical that, oh, I'm stepping out. I'm leaving my apartment. I'm going to the woods to be separate from the world. Give me Jesus. Take the world away. No. Paul has already made that clear that that is ridiculous. That is not going to happen. So how do you come out from among them? In the things you say, in the things you do, in the things you believe, in how you respond to life. Oh, something happens. People are complaining. You remember you're a believer. It says do all things without complaining. You are, you are, you are able to hold yourself. And like, ah, this guy, you never complain. You're always full of joy. That's how to come out. That's how to be separate. People are insulting your manager at work and you don't join them. Trust me, the world notices. They're like, ah. If we're talking about something else, but the moment we start to complain or make fun of people, you don't join us. They notice. What are you doing? You are giving God room to be God in your life because the separation is clear. Oh, let's go do this. Oh, I'm sorry, I can't. 
or if the scene, the, the, the environment or the invitation itself is not necessarily bad and you, you go, but even in that engagement, you don't partake in weird stuff. They notice. They notice. They notice. They notice. In your worldviews and your priorities, and they're like, ah, you like God too much. You say, actually, I don't know what to tell you. I, I do. What are you doing? You're giving God room. You're giving God room. You're making it clear that I be, that's the idea of consecration. I belong to God. And so God takes full ownership of my life. I'm no longer the spoon that belongs to the whole house. I am God's spoon. I'm no longer everybody's bathroom. I am God's. <laughs> Very bad analogy. But you get the point. Once that separation is clear, ownership becomes easy. Once your life is clearly dedicated to God, the idea of for his namesake becomes very easy. Very easy. Very easy. Very easy. And so all that, all that is, all that um, Paul is saying is that, like I said, it, that's why I'm like, it goes beyond, uh, I'll marry a Christian. Good for you. Beyond God. But recognize that it goes much, much more beyond that. If the world looks at you and they can't tell that there's something different, there is a problem. Realize that. If you say, oh, I'm a Christian and like, and they are fine, they don't see, there are not times where you clash in values, in interests, in influence, in authority, in priorities. There's a problem. There's a problem. There's a problem. I remember, I think just this week, I was having a conversation with a coworker, and so we're, we're very good friends, right? And I think we're talking, I can't remember what we're talking about. And she said, oh, that just trust God to do it for you. And I laughed because I'm like, but you don't believe in God. We've, we've had that conversation. Said, but you do. <laughs> and so trust God. She was the one. <laughs> she, that's, how, that's how much it's clear. She was the one telling me. Now, God will do it because I've said that many times. Many times. Many times. And so what Paul is pretty much saying is that let your life have a clear sense of what? Of nature, of identity, of morality, of revelation, of spirituality, of influence. And what was the last one? of worship and of purpose. Let it be clear. Let it be clear that even as you go, have that mindset that even as I go around my life, as I interact with the world, there is a difference that I must not compromise on. Like I said, you will never, never do much for God or even live, experience a certain level of intimacy and relationship with God if public opinions public ideas oh this is how the world expects things to happen you can't say no to that you can't you can't God has constantly separated his own unto himself look at 2 Peter 2 verse 5 
It says, God did not spare the ancient world. He saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness. Imagine how Noah felt. The only one in the world. There is a God. A flood is coming. Join me in the ark. The entire world said, Noah, you are mad. <laughs> and they were not, it wasn't a joke. They like, this guy is not okay. And they kept eating and drinking. If you were Noah, be honest with yourself. Would you have, would you have the social fortitude to say no to the world and to keep on representing God? Would you? The same thing. I love this verse a lot. Second Peter 2 verse 7, it goes on. It says, he delivered righteous Lot who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. It is for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. I can preach an entire sermon on this. But what is he saying? Lot was in Sodom. But the, the actions of Sodom, he never got comfortable with it. His wife, we can't say the same, unfortunately. But Lot, they are, it, it bothered him. It bothered him. And it's a question you should ask yourself. It's an easy way to gauge where your heart is, where your conscience is, how sensitive it still is. Do the actions of my unbelieving friends that don't glorify God, does it bother me? Am I always fine? If I'm watching something on TV and there's a scene about sexual indecency, does it bother me? Does it bother me? When I reflect in the world I live in, many of you live in probably the US, Canada, people listening to me, even Nigeria, the world at large, the things the world celebrates, the things the world promotes, does it bother you? Can, can we speak of you like Lot? You say, oh, God delivered righteous Tokbe. She was oppressed by the conduct of the wicked tormented in her soul day and night from seeing and hearing what they did. Can you, can you make that statement? Can you make that statement? Can you make that statement? That, oh, the world, and you see it and it, it bothers you. You don't take it as normal. It actually bothers you. That's, a, that's the first, you remember I said the first is exposure. How you respond to exposure is the first indicator of compromise. How you respond to exposure is the first sign that something is wrong. You see a tweet and you're like, ah, you shouldn't say this. Does it bother you? Does it bother you? You see an article about, does it bother you? You see a movie scene, you see a show, whatever it is, and they are doing things that you know don't glorify God. Does it bother you? Does it bother you? You hear a song, the lyrics don't glorify God. Does it bother you? It's just vibes. That's where it starts. Every one of us has room to go, including myself including myself. I spoke about that like two weeks ago. There are 
constantly, constantly open yourself to the spirit of God. Where are the areas where I'm getting comfortable in the world? God, reassess my heart. Reassess my heart. Where are the areas where I'm getting too comfortable with these friends of mine? And I'm already, in a sense, numbing myself to these expressions. Rekindle my conscience. Rekindle my conscience. Rekindle my conscience. Oh, two years ago, I've said, ah, I'm not going to watch this. Now I'm like, oh, it's fine. Rekindle my conscience. Two years ago, you can't find me here. Now I'm like, oh, it's fine. Rekindle my conscience. Rekindle my conscience. Because it's funny how we, 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 look, at, we look at certain other people, religious or otherwise, and we see their commitment and we respect it. I was talking to a friend of mine this week and she was telling me of how there was someone she was talking to. And I think in the middle of a professional conversation said, oh, I need to take out time to pray. We know of other religions. I've heard the story of a bus driver. It was, this was, he was driving people and 12, he said, everyone, hold on. I need to pray. I need to pray. And the thing is, we respect it. it. It's so annoying. And I don't even mean, like, it's so annoying how, as believers, we often, we are the ones that we feel seem so much, perhaps, because what we have is true. And so the devil is working extra hard. But you see someone that is clearly believing a lie, and they, they, they don't care. Yesterday, I went to get a haircut. I was coming back. I saw a lady covered head to toe under Texas sun because of her values. I'm like, she doesn't care. There's nothing you can tell her that you don't have to do this. God wants to relate with you from the inside. You're on your own. Nothing you say will change her mind. You look at even sports and they are making allowances for people to keep their hijabs on. You see hijab-friendly swimsuits. Ah, covered head to toe because there is, they have stuck so much to their convictions that the world knows that if we need to get them, we need to bow to their convictions. But it's not so in the Christian world. Why? They know that this Christ, Christian. <laughs> Christian. Forget it. If we tell them to come to work on Sunday, they will come. They, they cannot make, they cannot come together and say, no, we will not do this Christian. Forget it. Why? Why? Why is it that we, that we are forming, we are free in, free in the freedom of Christ. We live by the Spirit. We are the ones giving most to compromise. Why? Why? And you said in the gym too. Why? It doesn't matter the work culture. If someone says, oh, I'm sick, I wear my cap and I have my beard. You can't tell them not to. You can't. What do you want to, they will, if I, it is social media that will cancel your company. And yes, Christians were not marked necessarily by a certain outfit. Of course, dressing matters. We're not marked certain um, by prayer times in a certain day. Sure, we pray all the time in quotes. But it seems as though that all the time anywhere is only about my heart has made us very, very weak to the, to the pressure of the world. To the pressure of the world. 
there are people, I'm, there, I'm, there are many parts of this world that if they see, let's say, a Christian <laughs> um, pool party, say, ah. <laughs> say, ah. what are you guys wearing? <laughs> <laughs> let us let us let us let us make this our commitment that God I will come out from them and I will be separate remember it says if you read the verse it says come out from them and be separate do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you. You shall be my sons and daughters. And it's something I've been learning a lot more. Um, it's something that has me lean on my heart a lot. It's it's one after the other. Of course, you can you can say, ah, aren't they you can say I'm a believer now? Is God already know my father? Thank you, oh my father. So I call him Daddy God, Abba. <laughs> and it's the same question you could ask: are they not believers? Isn't God their father? And I beg you, don't allow what is true in Christ rob you of what you can experience in your life. I'll say that again. Don't allow what is true in Christ rob you of what you can experience in your life. There is a sense in which, oh, you are saved. God is your father. But there is a, there is a way Jesus will call God father. And even the Jews will be like, ah, which which I've not I've not heard I've not heard this before. There is a way they would see Jesus pray and they would know mm, this guy has something we don't. There is a way a believer carries themselves, and you can tell that they've experienced the level of intimacy with God you've only read about. Don't don't form uh, a true in my spirit. Mm -mm -mm. Thank God is true in your spirit. Let it be true. In your day-to-day -day life. And I guess that's that's all I would leave you all with today. You want to see more of God in your life. You need to be holy. I sound like, like the churches I grew up in. And they are right. <laughs> At least if you do it for the right reasons. We need to be a holy people. Run away from anything. That does not glorify the name of the Lord. We bear his name. We bear his name. We bear his name. We bear his name. In the things we see. I think that's something I'm, I'm like me personally in my own devotional work. It's something I'm trying. In the things we see. In the things we hear. In the things we say. In the things we do, be holy. Be holy. Be set, literally, be set apart to God. Be set apart to God. Don't compromise your values. Don't be comfortable. How does Psalm 1 say it? We read, we all memorize, well, many of us probably memorize this growing up. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, not sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the Lord. And if there's something we, we learned that early was what? 
It started by walking. Then he stood. Then he sat. It goes back to what I said last week. Repeated exposure only makes you more comfortable. Only makes you more comfortable. Every time you step out of your house, remind yourself that I'm heading into a world that is as different from me as a pig is from, from what now? From a white dress. As a pig is from a white dress. If you wore, if you just got a new white dress, you know how you act that day. You want to sit down in the car, you clean it. You want to go somewhere, someone is eating around you. You are always on alert. That is how we should be. Not out of fear or out of, oh my God, God will leave me. No, no, no. But out of honor and commitment to God. A certain awareness that God, I would interact with the world. I have friends that are not saved. I have co-workers that are not saved. I have colleagues that are not saved. Let my interactions today lead people closer to you. Help me not to compromise in word, in deed, in thought. Keep my conscience ever clear that at no point am I comfortable with the actions of sinners. Let it, let it trouble me. <laughs> That's, say that, let, it, let it trouble me. Help me to guard my mind, to guard my heart, to live a life where I am clearly devoted to God and God alone, such that whatever you do in my life, only you will take the glory. Only you will take the glory for the outcome of my life. When people look at my life, whether it will be like Daniel of administrative, in a sense, career excellence, whether it will be like Paul, of radical abandonment to God, eventually costing me my life. Whatever path that looks like, let it just be clear, both for Daniel, both for Joseph, both for Esther, both for Paul, both for Peter. It was one thing was clear. God was the owner of their lives. Let it be clear. Let it be clear. Let it be clear. Let it be clear. Let me realize that in nature, I am different. In morality, I am different. In spirituality, I'm different. In influence and authority, in identity and in purpose, I'm different. Build in me a fortitude that can withstand the pressure of friends, the pressure of social media, the pressure of society. Oh, the world expects that when you do this, you have to do this. Not necessarily. Not for the man in Christ. I live by a, set, a, a different set of laws. He says, know you know that your citizenship is in heaven. That mindset of an ambassador. He calls us sojourners on the We're just traveling. We're not, we're not here to set up camp. No. We're just passing by. We're just passing by. We're not tourists. We are not uh, residents. We're ambassadors. Meaning we are here to represent the interest of our parent nation in the world we live in. I'm not here to look around and take pictures and say, Ooh, ah, wow, no. I'm not here to be amused by the world. I'm here to represent 
my parent nation on the earth. And I recognize that if that's the case, then I will clash with the world many, many times. I will make decisions that might not look like the most sensible, just like Abraham, just like Noah, just like Lot. Why are you packing your bag and leaving a prosperous city in the middle of the night? You're walking away from it or you left your house, your properties, and you're just walking. I listen to God. I listen to God. I will constantly make decisions that the world will, will not be in support of or that the world will not understand, but that's fine. In my speech, in my words, that's the same thing, in my dressing, in my, in my associations, in my actions, it will be clear that I am separate. Let that be your commitment. Let that be your commitment. I would end with this verse. We'll take questions and we call it a day. Hebrews 13, verse 13. Hebrews, or let's, well, we can start from verse 12. Hebrews 13, 12 and 13. It says, therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood. He suffered outside the gates. The idea of outside the gates, like I taught in Journey Through Hebrews, I guess, is that idea of outside the city. It's separation from the city. And it says, let us go forth to him. Let us go and join him outside the gate, bearing his reproach. It's the same thing I said. It said, if they hated me, they will hate you too. Meaning, if you truly want to identify with Jesus in the world, you need to go and join him in his reproach. To be ready to be identified with him, whatever that means in your context. Whatever that means in your context. For some people, it's death. Let's say in the Middle East. To join Jesus outside the gate is death. For some of you, to join Jesus outside the gate is merely insults. And the loss of a few friends. For some of you to join Jesus outside gate might be your jobs. For some of you to join Jesus outside gate might be family members. To some of you, it's it's certain ways of life that you can't be a part of anymore. But the instruction is clear. If you truly believe the gospel, go and join him outside. Outside where people will laugh. Outside where they will call you weird. Outside where they would say, what are you doing outside? Come, common sense. Come inside. Where there is security. Where there's prosperity. Where there's wealth. Where there's pleasures of this world. And it might look that way. But look at what it says in verse 14. We have no continuing city. We seek the one to come. We know that what we have and what we will have in Christ is worth more than anything this world can offer. And that's why Jesus said it. No one who has laid down wives, husbands, family, friends, money, ambitions, dreams to follow me. says so you will get back in this world and in the world to come a hundredfold. It doesn't mean a hundred wives. Some of you say, ah, 
I wish he did. Doesn't mean 100 husbands. You say, ah, why not? <laughs> why is it always easier to say one? <laughs> I don't think women want 100 husbands, but many guys say, I don't mind 100 wives. It's very funny. Okay, that's a very, that's a social thought I should dwell on a lot more. I have answers, but I would like to spend some of my hours looking more into it. But anyways, say 100, I say, I like that. Or 100 more money, say, ah, nice. No, 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 that's not what he's talking about. He's saying that the worth of what you would find in this world would be way more satisfying. The worth of what you would find following God, rather, is way more satisfying than anything you gave up to follow him. And you can trust him on that. You can trust him on that. You can trust him on that. And so let us live like Israel today. For some of you, maybe you need to even just reread the Torah and just see specifically Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And you would see that the emphasis of all those laws was separation, was distinction. And as you read those laws, of course, I'm not saying that's what you should know, but think in your own life, how can I better identify with the gospel or what areas have I compromised? May God help you in Jesus' name. Amen. Any questions? Any questions? Any questions? All right. As, as always, it's like every teaching now is just ending on a very somber note. That's good. Let You wait till next week. We're going to godly sorrow work at Japan. It will get even more somber. I'm joking, but I'm not joking. But really, let the word of God work in your heart. Let the word of God work in your heart. All right. No questions. Awesome. I'll pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the invitation we have to bear your name on this earth as your sons and your daughters. Thank you for the teaching of today and the instruction it leaves our hearts with to not be unequally yoked. I pray that for every one of us, help us to see who we are in you. And by implication, see who the world is. Help us to know that we have no lot in this world. Help us to live a life that is separate unto you. That even in our interactions with the world, in our, in our friendships, in our work, in our places of work or places of education or whatever that looks like in the various aspects where we interact with the world, maybe roommates, whatever, help us to be intentional in those relationships. Help us to not bow to the God of this world, to not compromise our values for, for acceptance or for to be liked or to be respected, God forbid. Help us to stand firm in the face of misunderstandings, ridicules, whatever that looks like, as God's sons and daughters. In the name of Jesus, I pray for everyone or anyone 
here right now or that would listen to this teaching that is struggling with sin, struggling with compromise, I pray that you plant them in healthy Christian communities. Plant them around brothers and sisters that would encourage them to represent you without shame. In the name of Jesus. And I pray that as a people, for the, for the global body of Christ, help us to be that bride separate from the world. That let it be time that the world starts to look at us and see that indeed we are a people of God. They already see that for many other religions. How much more the true one. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. For many of you, this is a teaching that should translate into your personal prayer time. Take it up with God. Some of you, maybe ask your friends. Ask your Christian friends. Ask your non-Christian friends. Let Do an analysis of your life and let the Holy Spirit show you what needs to be done better. All right. Um, thank you all for your time. As always, like I said, this is perhaps the favorite, my most favorite part of my week. It's an honor to do this um, week in, week out. And it's an honor to have you here with me week in, week out. We're almost at like three years now. And I'm like, wow, some of you all have really stuck around. So I respect that and I appreciate that. And I hope um, you've been, you've grown since the first day you joined this Zoom call. Um, next week, we're going into chapter seven. We're going to talk about the idea of repentance. Um, we're going to talk about what, what is godly sorrow? What is worldly sorrow? What does that all mean? Um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll have a good time. So come again, come with a friend, share this teaching with someone you know that needs it. A lot of people do. Um, all right, I would share my screen. We'll take the benediction. So graciously prepared to us by Fukiya. And then we would welcome first timers, if there are any. All right, let me share my screen. Can everyone see it? Okay. I believe we can. So feel free to unmute yourself. Let's read together. One, two, go. I am a diligent student of the word. The word is profitable for my growth. By the word, I'm corrected. By the word, I'm trained in righteousness. I mean the word. My spirit Hallelujah. As you go out this week, go and live like a Christian. Amen. 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 All right. Anyone joining us for the first time? All right. Now we've come to the end of today's episode, and I hoped that it blessed you in many more ways than one. And if it did, I want you to do a couple things for me. The first thing is I want you to take out some time to pray and to meditate over the things you've learned in today's teaching and to see how you can begin to apply it to your life, starting from this week. Because it's important we remember, we're not just to be hearers, but doers of the word as well. The second thing I would appreciate is to think about someone you can send this to. If this teaching has blessed you, then pass it on to a friend, to a coworker, 
to someone you know who needs to hear this. And finally, don't forget to leave a like, subscribe, leave a comment if you're feeling up to it. And I'll catch you in the next episode. God bless you. Bye.